0: Hey, this is Kyle Eidelman from Southeast Christian Church. And I'm going to thank you for listening to the message today. As we open up the scriptures together, I pray that this message inspires you, challenges you, and is the right word at just the right time in your life. Enjoy the message. I don't know how often you do game night with your friends or family. We do it occasionally in my family, but when we do, it is most of the time this game, The Settlers of Catan or The Settlers of Catan, if you wanna pronounce it wrong. And the game basically works like this you use your resources of ore and sheep and bricks and other things to get points by building roads and settlements and cities. And there's a couple other ways to do it, but that's the primary way. And the first person at 10 points wins the game. Now. A key part of friction in my family when we play this game is trading. Because on your turn, you can say, hey, I'll give you two brick for two wheat or something like that. Now, I've been told that the true experts don't trade because they don't wanna betray what cards they have in their hand. In fact, I even found out as I understand it that we have the Kentucky State Champion Catan player on the Southeast staff. Did not know that existed, but I'm proud he's ours. (laughs) But what'll happen in our game is the problem, how do I say it, is that we have the most competitive family in the history of the world. So when trades commence, feelings get hurt and tempers may flare. For example, if there is a trade going on between players that ends up hurting your game, that can be frustrating. Then what is worse is if you need to make a trade and nobody will trade for you. And then the worst of the worst that occasionally happens is somebody is losing, they know they're gonna lose, the writing is on the wall and they say, forget it, I'm not even gonna try anymore. I'll I'll just trade all my cards for like one card and everybody gets upset and it's just not, not fun. But even when you're trying to win, a bad trade can determine whether you win or lose. A bad trade can determine the outcome. A bad trade can make or break you. Today, as we open Scripture, we're gonna talk about a trade that we are all tempted to make. It is a trade that Satan wants you to make. It is a trade that Jesus warned us about. It is a trade that we all face. It is a trade that Christians in every culture at every time throughout history are tempted to make. It is trading the truth of God for a lie. Now, the reality is you are faced with all kinds Of trades, You maybe have traded a car for another car that was a lemon, that was a bad trade. Maybe you made a worse trade. Some of you traded four years of your life and $100,000 for a degree you'll never use. Some of you traded your future for a life with him, but then he walked out. Some of you traded your healthy body for a substance that you used and abused, and then it used and abused you. And those kind of trades can all be destructive, but today, Romans 1 is gonna show us the worst kind of trade. It's when we trade making God first for making God second. It's based on Romans 1.25 that simply says this, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Now this scripture is gonna be the culmination of what we're gonna look at in the Bible in Romans chapter one today that talks about trading the created or trading the creator for the created, trading the best life for something less. We all worship something. We all give our time, ourselves, our bodies, our money to something often the easiest way to figure out what you worship is just to ask this question, what most disappoints you? Meaning, if you are most disappointed when your team loses, you may worship sports. If you are most disappointed with a lack of comments and likes, you may worship acceptance. If you're most disappointed when you walk in your home, you may worship stuff. If you're most disappointed when you spend a Saturday at home, you may worship relationships. If you're most disappointed when a vacation falls through, you may worship travel. And here's the thing, everything I just listed, they're all good things that are gifts from God. Sports and entertainment are fun. Relationships are healthy, a home is a nice thing, but it's when we worship those things and give our all to those things that they become unhealthy. My friend Scott has talked about this for years and he phrases it like this, when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing. We need food, but food out of control destroy you. Jesus drank alcohol but alcohol as an ultimate thing will destroy you. Sex is a beautiful gift, but sex pursued at all costs will destroy you. How? When it becomes an ultimate thing. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing. And the reason it's destructive is it can't help you. It can't give you ultimate hope, it can't save you. I read a news story a few years ago about a Pittsburgh Steelers fan who had died Before he died, he had prearranged a unique viewing of his body with the funeral home. So when it came time for the viewing, they brought in the Lazy Boy from his house. They arranged his body on the Lazy Boy, draped in a Pittsburgh Steelers blanket, and put a TV in front of his body with a loop of old Pittsburgh Steelers highlights. As a Baltimore Ravens fan, I thought that's a very Pittsburgh thing to do. But I love football. When you die... That's a bad place to have your hope. When a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a destructive thing. And this is why Christians fast, mostly from food, but even many Christians, you know, maybe you yourself fast from certain things. Why? To prove to yourself and to God that they are not your idol. Someone I greatly respect has a habit with Instagram of giving up Instagram one day a week, one week a month, and one month a year just to prove To themselves that it's not an idol that doesn't have too much control now everything I just said for most of us is review we know this we know there are idols that even though we may not worship some statue made of wood or stone that we have things that we give ourselves to and they become idols we get that but the temptation to make a good thing an ultimate thing never goes away So how do we prepare ourselves so we don't get lured in to giving our lives to something we shouldn't, to things that are empty? What do we need to learn? What do we need to do so that when we die, they don't by default have a viewing of our body with our idol? So that when life is hard, we have true hope. So that when things are unstable, we have a rock foundation. Romans chapter one is gonna warn us about the path of how to God make God less important in your life. The way I'm gonna phrase it today is this. I'm gonna give you the broad path to make God second in your life. And this is meant to be an allusion to Matthew chapter seven where Jesus says, hey, there's two paths. There's a narrow path and it is hard and few find it, but it leads to life. And there is a broad path and it's easy and everybody walks down that, but he says it leads to destruction. So as we talk about this today, we're we're not saying that we want you to make God second in your life. What I'm saying, because what Romans 1 is saying is that if you are walking down the broad path, you're gonna see certain signs along the way that we're gonna learn from Romans 1 today, and that will be your clue. I'm on the wrong way. I need to go the other direction. So let's look at the three steps. First one's found in Romans 1, verse 20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities. What are they? His eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. First step to making God second in your life is to ignore that you are created, meaning to ignore that you, are crea- that you have a creator. The way I'd phrase it is this, deny the obvious. If you wanna make God second in your life, Behind something else, first deny the obvious, which is that you have a creator. Science helps so much with this. I read about a science fair project from a student in Idaho named Nathan Zoner. And he put together a petition to ban a substance, a chemical called dihydrogen monoxide. He listed all of the things about it. He said it's called hydroxyl acid. It contributes to the greenhouse effect. It may cause severe burns. It's fatal if inhaled. It contributes to erosion, accelerates corrosion and rusting. It may cause electrical failures. It's been found in excise tumors of terminal cancer patients. Despite the danger, the petition said, dihydrogen monoxide is often used as an industrial solvent and coolant in nuclear power plants to produce styrofoam as a fire retardant in many forms of cruel animal research in the distribution of pesticides and as an additive in certain junk foods and other food products. When everybody saw this list on the petition, they said, yeah, we gotta get rid of dihydrogen monoxide. The only problem that some of you figured out from the jump is that dihydrogen monoxide is another word for H2O, another word for water. Everybody said, yeah, let's ban it. And I love that example because it's what happens in our world where people see something but completely miss what's going on beneath it. And so often in our world, people look right at scientific truth and totally miss the God who invented the science. It's why I'm thankful for so many outspoken Christian scientists who devote their lives to helping other scientists understand the truth of the gospel based on the foundation of science. And what they do is simply what Romans 1.20 says. They say, look at it. It's obvious there's a creator behind this. Dr. Hugh Ross had a passion for astronomy and cosmology from a very young age. He wasn't raised in a church or of any faith whatsoever, but his own research led him to understand that the science proves the universe had a beginning. Well, he could easily figure out if the universe had a beginning, that means the universe must have a beginner. So he said, for the sake of intellectual honesty, I owed it to myself to study that beginner. So he looked at all the holy books of the world's major religions. When he finally opened the Bible to page one, he was astounded to see how Genesis 1 lined up exactly with what he'd observed for years in his telescopes. He then founded an organization that is devoted to using the latest scientific discoveries to reach out to scientists and show them the creator described in the Bible is real. It's why he wrote the book, The Creator and the Cosmos. And he says, the more we learn about the universe, the more evidence we uncover for the existence of God. So astrophysicist speaking. First signpost, deny the obvious. Second is found in verse 21. They knew God but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. If you're on the broad path to destruction, if you don't want God to be number one, if you want this other thing to be number one, even if you won't admit it, you recreate God in your image, and the way we'll phrase it is this, you redefine God, redefine God. You know, sometimes words in our language get redefined over time. For example, the word awful means bad. Its original meaning, however, meant it something that created awe, like it made you full of awe, and now it means the exact opposite. The word naughty means disobeying. It originally meant poor, like you have not. You have nothing, and that meaning has changed over time. The worst is what they've done with the word literally. <laughs> the original definition of literally was, and still is, in a literal sense or manner, for example, the driver took it literally when asked to go straight across the traffic circle. This makes sense. But because of culture, the dictionary added an additional definition a couple of years ago that says this, used for emphasis or to express strong feeling while not being literally true. For example, I was literally blown away by the response I got, no, you weren't. Reminds me of a sports broadcast I heard of on a basketball game where the announcer said, he literally left his guts on the floor. No, he didn't, that would be gross. And as someone who's a black and white thinker, this frustrates me because the definition for literally is literally not accurate. But this is exactly what people do with God because they take who God is and what he is and how he defined himself and say, no, I want something that's the exact opposite. here's what it looks like. Verse 23, instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols, made to look like people and Birds and animals and reptiles, you've seen pictures of this, maybe been to a museum where you saw these things, but then it evolves into this, verse 24. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. The culmination of idolatry is worshiping other people. Now, that phrase, God abandoned them, sounds weird or maybe even harsh. This is a theme throughout scripture. For example, in Hosea 4, God is talking about the regions of Ephraim and northern Israel, and He says, I'm gonna judge them because they're attached to idols, leave them alone. In Matthew 15, Jesus is talking to His disciples about some religious leaders. He said, They're blind guides leading the blind, ignore them. In Acts chapter seven, Stephen, before he's wrongly executed, is talking about their ancestors in the wilderness worshiping a golden calf statue. And it says, God gave them up to worship the stars of heaven. Scripture seems to be clear that if you are determined to walk away from God, he'll let you. I think the way you can diagnose if you're on this step is really found in these two phrases, my God and I feel. My God wouldn't want that. My God wouldn't wanna hurt anyone. My God would want me to be happy. My God wouldn't make people feel guilty. I feel this is truth. I feel this is love. I feel judged by that, so I reject it. I feel ashamed, so that can't be right. In fact, Carl's... Opinion when it comes to parenting young kids as you monitor their media choices and movies and TV and YouTube channels is the most important thing to be on guard against is not violence and it is not certain words that you may not like, it is this idea because the majority of children's entertainment communicates two things, your parents are idiots and follow your feelings. Meaning, just be your own God. Going back to our list, you can see how these things flow. If you deny the obvious, then it makes sense that you could redefine God because you already denied he's your creator, so then you just make up what God is. And the reason we do this is we don't want God in our lives. One author says it this way, if there's a creator, there's design. If there's design, there's intent. If there's intent, there's morality, there's right and wrong. If there's morality, there's accountability. If there's a creator, in other words, I am responsible to that creator. So don't be surprised when people redefine God because people wanna do whatever they want. We wanna do whatever we want. Because people know the reverse of that is true as well, that if there's not a creator, there's not design, and ultimately there's no accountability. Verse 22 says, claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. When you go through these steps, when you deny the obvious, when you follow feelings, you become a fool. Now, this word fool is important to understand in the scriptures because often when we use it, we would maybe use it to say someone is incompetent, uh, dumb, something like that. But scripture has a little more nuance to it. When the scriptures use the word fool, it means someone who's acting against their own best interests. Here's what I mean. In the book of Proverbs in the Bible, it's just a book of wisdom, it consistently sets up a contrast between a wise person who does something that long-term is in their own best interest and the fool who is actually only hurting themselves. For example, uh, Proverbs 6.32 says, the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. Why? For he destroys himself, just for himself. So that scripture verse that says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's not saying your atheist friend is dumb. You know that's not true. They're a well-read, intelligent person. What it's saying is the atheist is only hurting himself. Because think about it. If you ignore God, it doesn't hurt God. He stays the same. If you ignore God, it just hurts you. So the way I would rephrase Romans 1.22, the culmination of making God second is this, you invent truth, you invent truth. And this is what our culture does. It's different every generation. Right now it seems to be culture separating sex from gender. It's becoming historically arrogant where we can cancel someone who lived 200 years ago because of something that they had never even heard of or been exposed to. It's when so-called Christians try to change what Christians have always understood the New Testament to teach. The tough thing is that we know when culture around us, around us invents truth, it is easy for us to be persuaded. In the field of psychology, there's something called the Ash Conformity Experiments that prove this. There was a psychologist named Solomon Ash a bunch of years ago who wanted to essentially study the effects of peer pressure. So he brought in a group of eight people, different groups, uh, back to back, to do a little study with them, and he showed them these two pictures. He said, which line on the right matches the length of the one on the left? And the answer is very obvious. But the twist on the experiment is that there was, in the group of eight, only one guinea pig. The other seven people were all actors doing what the person in charge of the experiment told them. So for example, the first time they came in, only a, he had a couple of the actors say, oh, the first one, that's, that's the match. And the guinea pig would kind of squint their eyes and be like, well, that's kind of weird you think that. They would say the right answer. Then, in the next version, he had about four of the actors say the wrong answer. And this really made the guinea pig second-guess themselves. You could see they were thinking, what's going on here? I, I think the right answer is the one in the middle, but maybe I'm wrong. But then, the culmination of it was he would bring in people where all seven of the actors were absolutely convinced that this was the right answer. And every single time, when everyone else said the wrong answer, the guinea pig just went along with it there was something in them that said, well, it seems the truth is obvious, but if everybody else is saying something else, I, there must be something wrong with me. And this picture represents our world, doesn't it? Because here's what's true about you, is a, a bunch of people here, because of who you've chosen to follow on social media, when you scroll through, all it is is people saying, this is true. Some of you are the only Christian in your workplace and you're there as a missionary of Jesus, but it's hard because everybody's saying, this is true. Some of you at family gatherings have to really pray yourself up because when you go into that non-believing family, it's, it's just a conversation about this is true and this is why we're here together. Because in a world that says that's true, we need to get together and say, no, 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 this is what's true. So, what is the solution? Yeah. What is the solution? What's the alternative? We've seen three steps from Romans 1 of how to make God second. How do we combat that? Well, we can reverse engineer what Romans 1 just taught us and see three ways to increase your affection for God. First is this, get in nature to increase awe. Romans 1 verse 20 said that God's qualities are apparent to everybody in history because of nature. Psalm 19 says it this way, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. When you get in nature, your awe of God increases. It could be going to a farm where you watch beautiful horses. It could be fishing on the lake where you experience God's creation. It could be the mountains or the beach or any number of other things, but there's something in each of us, the scriptures say, that when we get in nature, our awe of God increases. I did something this past fall that increased my awe of God. It actually started a few years ago. My family of six went together to the Grand Canyon and it was a great experience. We went to the South Rim, all the lookout points along the way and we're just filled with awe. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful and overwhelming to see how God could create something like that with just a word. While we were there, my oldest son said, hey dad, I wanna hike down into the Grand Canyon one day. I kind of filed that away. A few months later, he says, Dad, I still wanna hike the Grand Canyon Rim to Rim. A few months later, he says it again. So I got the message. About a year ago, we planned this. And this past fall, he and I got on an airplane out to Phoenix, drove up to the Grand Canyon to the North Rim, spent the first night staring up at the beautiful Milky Way, seeing more stars than we'd ever seen in our lives. The next morning, we got up at 3.30 a.m. to begin our 28-mile hike. Loaded our backpacks, had our fluids, we're ready to go. First few hours are easy, because it's nice and cool, we're going down, I mean, we're just cruising, it's great. As it flattens out mid-morning, we're starting to get a little tired, a little harder, but we have a good break for lunch, feel good, but then we gotta begin the 6,000-foot ascent up. About two o'clock in the afternoon, it was getting pretty hot, we were pretty tired, and I started looking around thinking, I wonder how they get helicopters in here to evacuate people. About an hour and a half after that, we were setting our watches, timers for every 15 minutes because we would walk for 15 minutes. Then we would just lay down in the middle of the trail for a quick rest, quick nap maybe. It got dark, we had nowhere to go but up, one step in front of the other. So at 8.30 that night, we finally made it. We gave each other a big bear hug and we were excited about our accomplishment. We made it. (laughs) I was gonna say, we made it, but it crushed us. <laughs> and we had so many emotions in that moment, right? Like we were, we were proud of ourselves and this lifelong accomplishment. We were relieved that we were gonna be able to sleep in a bed that night. We were kind of angry because we thought we had each trained well, but we realized we had undertrained. trained um, But most of all, the emotion we felt was humility because we had just explored one little speck of God's creation on one planet, in one galaxy in his universe, and it humbled us. And we just stood in awe of our Creator. We were reminded how big our God is. Dr. Hugh Ross, who I mentioned earlier, said in science, the more you explore, the more awestruck you become by the Creator. If you want to make God first in your life, if you want him second, don't do this. But if you want God first in your life, get in nature, to increase your awe. Second thing is found in verse 21. Yeah, they knew God. Look at the phrase I highlighted here. But they wouldn't even give him thanks. Isn't that interesting? It's like this verse is saying the baseline response to God is just to give him thanks. It's like if somebody gives you a present, the baseline response is to say, thank you. I read recently about the hormone oxytocin that happens in our bodies. It's been called the love hormone or the trust hormones because when it's released, there's growing evidence that it forms a connection, like rewires your brain in a way to the object of of, of your focus. So some things we know release oxytocin are singing, trusting, and expressing gratitude. Singing, trusting, expressing gratitude. Sounds like a pretty good morning quiet time. Isn't it interesting that we are just now discovering that when you do those things that scripture told us to do anyway, your body responds by bonding you to the object that you're addressing. So it may just be worth asking, if you want God first, do you begin each day by thanking him for something? Science now says what scripture says will bond you to God. Third thing we gotta do is get in Scripture to develop wisdom. Get in Scripture for wisdom. Romans 1.20 says God is revealed generally through nature. We know God is revealed specially through Scripture. I like Jeremiah 8.9, partly because God is sarcastic in it. He says, these wise teachers will fall into the trap of their own foolishness, for they've rejected the word of the Lord. Are they so wise after all? Because remember with the scripture definition of fool, a fool is someone who does what is not in your own best interest. So this is saying a fool neglects God's word. Here's what this means for the Christian. Every day, no exceptions, we're in God's word. Every day, no exceptions, the Christian is in God's word. It is the place where we guarantee we hear from God. We guarantee we are refined, convicted, encouraged, challenged. It is the way we know we're connecting with God. God's word, every day, no exceptions. And the good news is it's easier to get in God's word today than any time in history. You carry God's word in your pocket, in multiple translations, in multiple languages, even an audio Bible. You know, it's been a tradition for Christians for hundreds of years that each generation of Christians translates the ancient manuscripts in common language to make it understandable for that generation This is something we're very thankful for so we can understand the scriptures in our language. Recently, I did hear about a new translation out called the Gen Z Bible, where someone had taken the scriptures and translated it into Gen Z language. Now, I'm gonna read part of this. I do wanna let you know I would never dishonor God's word. I have triple-checked this to make sure this is exactly what Luke 1 communicates when the angel Talks to Mary, check this out. Mary was a pick me girl for God and was simping for him in prayer when the angel Gabriel appeared to her and said, Ayo, you're a real one and the top G is feeling you. But she thought his compliment was sus and gave him the side eye. So he said, said, baby girl, chill. God sent me to tell you you've passed his vibe check. And low key, he wants you to have the main character you'd name him Jesus and they will all say, he's him. She said, how can this be since I promised him my body count will always be zero, respectfully. He said, this ain't about cuffing season, for the Holy Spirit will live rent free in you and your boy Jesus will be a divine bro. Beside, your cousin Elizabeth is with child, she who is already older than a boomer and whose husband is way past beekeeping age. So Mary said, bet. Gabriel left her on red and she let the Holy Spirit cook. Some of you have no idea what just happened. Talk to your grandkid. (laughs) Some of you are like, I'm gonna gonna get that. I'm gonna use that translation. Here's why I say that. It is easier than ever before in history to get in God's word. And there are people throughout history, there are Christians throughout history who died so they could have the Bible in their own language and they never dreamed we would have it as accessible as we do today. The Christians, every day, God's word, no exceptions. In his most famous sermon, Jesus says, there is a narrow road that leads to life, there's a broad, easy way that leads to destruction. And you will know, Romans one teaches us, that you're on that road to destruction if you deny the obvious, if you redefine God, if you invent truth. The good news is that no matter how far you've walked on that path, it is not too late to turn around. Jesus' most famous story, he tells about a young man who did just that. This man left everything that was safe and true and he wasted his life. At the end of it, he was penniless, he had lost all hope, and he was utterly alone. So he tried the only thing he knew. He said, I'll go home and see if dad won't take me back as a slave. But when he got within sight of his house, his father, who represents our father, ran to him, interrupted the rehearsed speech, gave him a big old bear hug, and said, we're having a party. So here's what's true, is when you're playing a game and somebody makes a bad trade, that's really frustrating, it can be annoying, but what's actually fun is when you're on the good end of a bad trade. Oh, somebody's going to trade me eight cards front. Let's go. That's good news. And scriptures say that God wants me to make you the best trade ever. That you can give up your life and Jesus will give you true life. Mark eight thirty five. That you can trade your mourning, your grief, for dancing. Psalm thirty eleven. That you can trade your weakness and you'll get strength, Hebrews eleven thirty four. 34. That you can trade your sadness and he'll give you joy, John 16, 20. But it all hinges on the best trade ever, Second Corinthians 5, 21. You trade in your sin and he gives you his righteousness. And the good news is it's free. There is no twisting somebody else's arm. There is no lucky roll of the dice. There is no fortunate draw of a card. It is simply because God loves you. The God who made the Grand Canyon, the God who made the Milky Way, the God who created you loves you. So will you be wise or fool? Will you act against your own best interests and do what only harms you or will you be wise? and trade in your rags and you get his riches. And the reason you can do this is because we worship, we give thanks to the one who said, I'm the son of God. And then he died and rose again to prove it. And that is why he is our Lord and he is our savior. Let's pray together. God, most of us can probably recount a time where we are on the end of something that was unfair, unjust, and it made us mad. And we wanted you to do something or we wanted to get even ourselves, or maybe we did. God, the reality is the most unfair thing ever is you giving us grace, that it is not fair, that all we have to do is say you're our God And we receive forgiveness, we receive hope, we receive challenge, we receive wisdom, and it's all free. So God, thank you for the free gift of grace. Thank you that you loved us so much you gave Jesus. God, help us be wise. The narrow path's hard, you told us, and we know. But help us be wise and keep putting one step in front of the other until we reach our destination. It is in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If today's message made you realize you need to take your next step with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us on any of our social media platforms throughout the week or visit our website at southeastchristian.org. And if you want to hear more content like this, you can check out our sermons podcast or our one at a time podcast. Both can be found everywhere. Podcasts are available. Have a great week.